Amen. Have a seat. We're going to, uh, um, all things being well with the sound system, we're going to just show a, a, a video a clip of um, a testimony from HTB in London, Holy Trinity, Brompton in London. Uh, this is, I've used this, this clip on a number of occasions, uh, and every time I watch it, I have to sort of hold myself together because actually it's, it, it's emotionally uh, pulls me into an interesting place. Um, so let's just watch this clip together. Normally the stories that we hear from here are from the last Alpha course uh, at HCB. But this morning we've got something a little different. We've got, because Alpha runs in different places around the world. It's now running in over 55,000 churches and all sorts of other places around the world in 169 countries. And uh, just occasionally we hear a story from somewhere other than HTB. And uh, this morning we have a guest with us who did it somewhere else. And um, Shane is going to come and tell us a little bit about his story. So Shane, come and tell us. First of all, Shane, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, my background is really, um, I grew up with the wrong kind of people. And when I was younger, I started to uh, burgle houses and pinch cars and just steal anything I could off people, really. But while I was doing this, I had an uncle who had a reputation for being a fighter and being hard. He was my god. I used to love walking down the street with him because people used to speak about him. And it just, from then on, I decided that I wanted to be... I wanted to be hard, I wanted people to respect me. And uh, do I carry on? With yeah, yeah, you no. keep going. <laughs> and then I, can't, I wanted people to respect me. And uh, little did I know I was going to be one of them, be classed as one of Britain's youngest, most dangerous people at the time. But I just started to um, fight people who had a name for themselves. Uh, I started stabbing people up, booting people's doors in, selling drugs. And eventually it led to me being on the run for. Uh, I was on a run at first for kidnapping, attempted murder, and just all the other stuff, Section 18s and everything, what come on. And I eventually got caught for all them and ended up going to a home house prison in the northeast. And I had a hatred for the system, for authority. So I ended up, because uh, the officer wouldn't let me go to the gym, I went out my cell and I stabbed uh, two prison officers. Uh, I stabbed one three times and one once. And... Uh, it led to me going to maximum security prisons. And from then on, I just raged war against the, the prison system. And it led to me being put in a CSC cell, close supervision. It's where a maximum security prison is for dangerous prisoners. But within a maximum security prison, there's a dangerous, dangerous prisoners. And they had to be, they can't open your door unless there's riot shields and riot gear. And they have to feed you through a hatch in the door with locks because they can't have physical contact with you. And that just led on for years, going from prison to prison, selling drugs, fighting the system, assaulting officers, assaulting inmates, and that just happened for six or seven years, until eventually, do I go on to the... Yeah, Until yeah. <laughs> eventually, I ended up... I met a man called Robert Bull, and he was a, a born-again Christian. He'd come and tell me, Jesus loves you and all that. I just think it was an absolute crackpot, really. That's what I thought. And uh, he used to come with little leaflets... And he'd like, what, why, uh, why Jesus and stuff like that? And pour some through my door and I just chuck them on the side and thought nothing of it. And then eventually I ended up, uh, prison, about 10 prison officers come to my cell door and told me I had to go to segregation because I'd been put under an investigation into smuggling drugs into the prison and um, subversive behaviour. 
and I didn't know what subversive behaviour was, so I asked them and they said, get a dictionary. So I got a dictionary, and it, what they were trying to say is that I was trying to use some sort of power to overthrow their authority. But while I was down, down there, I got a, um, a vision in my head, like as if he was in front of me, of this Christian, and, and, and God telling me, to, an urge telling me to write my letter, and I just, I, for days it was in my head, so eventually, because it was doing my head, and I wrote my letter, and he wrote back saying, Jesus is trying to touch your heart, let go of your heart. So I just thought, he definitely lost it. You know, <laughs> you know, well, you just don't hear that kind of stuff. And eventually I went to Long Larton Prison, which is a maximum security prison. And when I was in there, I ended up uh, going in on an Alpha. Someone mentioned the Alpha course, but I wasn't, my name wasn't down to go on it. So I walked walk in on an Alpha course, and it was most of the way through. And I sat in and thought nothing of it, and I was, someone was like, oh, it's, I started arguing about science proves the Bible wrong and everything. You know, we come from the Big Bang and stuff like that. <laughs> and then eventually, um, it's, I, went to get, I went to get up and someone said, oh, you get free chocolate biscuits, biscuits and gattos. I said, get my name down. <laughs> you know, I, wanted, I didn't go for God, I went for the chocolate biscuits and the gattos. <laughs> but eventually, it come to the Holy Spirit day, they dedicated day on the course, don't it, to the Holy Spirit. And one of them come and prayed for me and prayed in tongues and I didn't know what that was and I felt a bit daft at the time and thought nothing happened I felt I remember feeling a bit disappointed but nothing happened and then eventually uh, I can't remember if it was on the day or another course that the pastor come to me and said I've never done this in the 20 odd years I've worked here but God's telling me to tell you uh, to come here on your own this afternoon wait there a minute <laughs> getting emotional here uh, so I went, and he prayed and said, like, no, some verse out of the Bible about Jesus forgiving you and Jesus loving you, and, no, you've just got to let go of your heart and come to Jesus and stuff. And then he prayed for me, and he said, just pray. And I said, God, I hate who I am. <laughs> I said, God, I hate who I am, who I've become. Uh, come into my life. And I started talking a bit, and as I started talking, I started to feel something in my stomach. Uh, I don't know if it was an energy feeling because I don't know what energy feels in your stomach but I, I just felt something in my stomach and I describe it as a, an energy feeling in my stomach and it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up and then I just cried uncontrollably cried and cried and cried and cried and, and from then on just totally transformed my life I went from being one of Britain's youngest most dangerous prisoners to overnight I ended up working at a chaplaincy in the prison I ended up um, getting enhanced Prison officers were my friends, they were becoming my friends, they were speaking to me. And then there's a verse in the Bible that says, your enemies will become your friends, doesn't it? And it was just, my life just totally transformed. And then I got released, and uh, I can't stop preaching to people, really. <laughs> I, I, I just preach to everybody, I can't help it. My mum chucks me out of the house. <laughs> no, she does. <laughs> My mum, my mum literally, you know, if I start mentioning Jesus, now she's like, shut up or get out, you know. <laughs> So it's just, my life's totally, uh, totally, I can't explain it. It's just like non-Christian Christian denom like denominations, non-Christian, like, what do you call them? Like businesses and stuff. Who, who don't, they're not Christians, but they're inviting me in to give testimonies, like job centres, uh, a place called New Deal. They're inviting me in to go in and speak to people about my story, and they're not even Christians, and, and you know, and the staff members where I go, I just preach to everybody. You know, so I just, 
All I can say is my life has totally changed. You got so. married? You got oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> 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 sorry about that. And uh, I, I met a, a beautiful wife. She wasn't my wife then, obviously, but she's my wife now. And, you know, I've got a beautiful little wife. And I've got two little children, a little daughter and a... Two little daughters, sorry. And I've got a little boy on the way, nerves. So my life's just absolutely amazing. Just have all glory to God and thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Shane, very, very much indeed. In the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah 9, uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Those words in Isaiah 9, which will come up on screen in a minute, um, are words which many of us uh, will know incredibly well. Of course, we tend to think of them as words which are read at Christmas. That's, that's, you know, anybody who comes to a Christmas service tends to have those words sort of ringing in their mind. Uh, they're familiar words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on the people. The people who didn't understand God have seen a a light, which is the light of God. But the world still seems to live in darkness. The very word dark um, describes so much of the stuff um, that seems to be diametrically opposed to the way God wants the world to live. You know, that's, the world is not, not right. Uh, we are not right, as it were, with God in the world. And God wants it to be different. The world is not in the light. Uh, I was reading a statistic now uh, that, that currently um, in this country, 93% of people don't go to church at all. 93%. We are in dark times. Um, and, and we need to see more of the light of the world having an influence. That's why it's so good to watch a video like that. Because actually we recognise that, you know, sometimes we feel as if we're just the 7% struggling along week by week. Oh, crumbs, what's going to happen? But actually, God can change people's lives. Yes. Yes, he can. Right back at the very beginning, uh, 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 literally and in this book, in Genesis when God creates all that is his, uh, and it's wonderful and glorious, uh, he says we're called to look after uh, what he has created. Uh, And in in chapter 1, verse 3, God creates light and dark. He separated uh, light and dark. We see that division occur right in the beginning of the Bible between light and dark. Now, I know that in verse 31, uh, it also says that God saw all that he had made and it was good because ultimately light and dark, day and night, give a pattern of life which is good for us, uh, day to do and night to rest. But we can't get away from the fact that through scripture we see an underlying theme of light being good, pleasant, joyful, rich for humanity and ultimately 
that which we know in Jesus, and dark being bad, as in Sheol, the Hebrew word for hell, where one will go to live in darkness if you have not come to dwell in the light. Now, I know it may be very unpopular these days, and even politically incorrect, and you may even get taken down to the police station to, if you preach hell and damnation. Yet Scripture tells us of that division between darkness and light, between Jesus, who is the light of the world, and Satan, who is the darkness of the world. It's so important, actually, that uh, the principal of Spurgeon's College... Can you roll, one, roll them on for me? Yeah, yeah, and the next one. That'd be great. Hopefully. The principal of Spurgeon's College wrote this book, which, uh, yeah, here it is, The Theology of the Dark Side. Um, uh, it, it was actually an updating of a book he wrote earlier called The Fair Face of Evil, Putting the Power of Darkness in Its Place. I love that. Putting the Power of Darkness in Its Place. And it provides us with a thorough biblical and theological study of the nature of evil and Christ's victory over evil. And our participation in that victory as we await its consummation. You know, isn't that, I mean, that's my sentence, but this is, this is a summary of the book. A study of the nature of evil, Christ's victory over evil, and our participation in that victory as we await its consummation. That's what we're about as the church, I think. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to put the power of darkness in its place. That's what we want to see happen. So darkness has become uh, the word for things which are not pleasant uh, or even wrong. We sometimes speak uh, when there's the... uh, Just recently there was a program on television and and even the the guy introducing it on television said, this is a dark play. You know, dark movies. uh, Ones which uncover something of the depths of pain and hurt and disappointment of life and and also of evil, actually. Uh, Dark movies. We speak... Um, of the, the days of war, um, uh, as Dark Days Churchill, I think, used that, that metaphor in a number of his speeches, the dark days of war. We speak of the darkness of depression, and as some of you know, I speak out of that personal experience of the darkness of depression. Uh, Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald, who, who wrote The Great Gatsby, said uh, once, he said, uh, it's up, coming up hope, hopefully, in, the, in a real dark night of the soul, It is always three o'clock in the morning, day after day. I know there are people within the congregation here. And, you know, today, you know, the the London Marathon's being run with a huge emphasis on mental health. And I know that, you know, when when I had recovered from some of my depression and I started to speak to people, tried to be honest about where I was and who I was, I discovered that there were many people out there with the darkness of the soul. Many people who thought it was always three o'clock in the morning. I remember waking up at three o'clock in the morning and thinking, this is not good news. This feels bad. This feels dark. And it's not only for the uh, condition of depression, but we speak of, of days of spiritual dryness as the dark days of the soul. And we sung earlier, it is well with my soul, but we know that we have dark days of the soul, dark nights of the soul. We often speak of the things of evil as dark. You know, black magic is of the dark side. It is not of the light side. 
Never mind the chocolates. Um, do they make black magic anymore? I'm not sure. That could just age me entirely. But I want to say to you today, just to clarify today again, that Jesus is the light of the world. He is not the dark of the world. He is the light of the world. He's not actually a slightly light of the world. He's not a dim possibility like a torch on its last legs. He is the light of the world. Now, in some churches, um, probably not traditional, good Baptist or Anglican churches, uh, there would be a lot of noise if I said that. Here, you've sat there quite meekly, and that's okay. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen! Amen! Preach it, brother! He burns light into every circumstance that life can throw at you. That's not to say we can understand the whys and wherefores and fully explain the darkness of the world. But he and he only can bring light into the darkness of the world and of your world. He and he only can do that. You know, we, we, these, last, these last 12 months have been traumatic for the world. Traumatic for our nation uh, as well. You know, how do we speak light into Brexit. What a terrible word Brexit is. I hate it. But how do we speak light into that whole issue of Brexit? Now, I'm not saying, again, I, I, I've, I've used this illustration once before. Uh, I, I'm not saying that Brexit is dark. Don't hear me wrong. If you voted one way or the other, you know, I'm fine. I don't, I don't mind. I don't need to know. Um, but how do we speak light into Brexit, which is causing trauma in the world? You know, who, who's worried about where the UK is going over the next months, years? I am, and I've got children, and they've got 80 years or so to go. Well, 60 years, 70 years. Uh, and I'm worried. And how about that guy across the pond? Ugh! Who's worried about how Trump is managing? I mean, you know, he's, he might have been a great businessman. I know, I'm doubtful about how legal it was, but he, he might have been good at that. But actually, putting him in charge of the world issue of the biggest power in the world, that is worrying. That there's a, a darkness about it all. Uh, and, you know, only this last few weeks, North Korea, Russia, and so forth. Um, you know, the world feels to me, to be a dark place. And we're called to be the light in the world. That's to say nothing of the wars that are already raging, hunger that pervades in Sudan, trafficking of people that is so prevalent, and all the stuff occurs that occurs even closer to our own home, in the streets, often behind closed doors, even in this village. And perhaps even personally, in our own lives, here and now, within this gathering of people. You know, the world feels quite a dark place. The young Robbie Louis Stevenson, who, who wrote uh, Treasure Island, was looking out of the window one evening when he was uh, a child, so the story is told, from the house in the street in Edinburgh where he lived, when the old-fashioned lamplighter came round on his rounds to, to light the, lamplight, uh, the, the gas lights. Now, Lauren's grandfather was a lamplighter in Ipswich, uh, many years ago, so I have a sort of uh, you know 
something that, that connects with me for this. Uh, and the young boy's nurse called for him to come down for supper, but he couldn't pull himself away from the remarkable um, sight. Uh, and, he, uh, and he pushed his, his nose against the window and he cried out and he, he said, Look, there's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. There's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. That's what the light does. It exposes the dirt. It punches holes in the darkness. It allows us to, allows us to clean more effectively. When we proclaim Jesus as light of the world, we are punching holes in the darkness of this fallen world. Every time we proclaim Jesus as the light, we are turning up the dimmer switch just a little in the world as the sun comes out just on cue. Uh, And friends, let me assure you, because I know sometimes we think there is simply too much darkness in this world to cope with. The darkness cannot put out the light. Thank you for that. We're getting there. We'll be Pentecostal before we know where we are. The darkness cannot put out the light. Now look, I've lit, I've lit a small little candle here. It's pretty insignificant in this bright, airy room. But let me tell you that if I came in here at 12 o'clock at night and it was pitch black and I couldn't see a thing, I couldn't see anywhere, and I lit a candle and put it in the middle of the room, give it half an hour and I would see significantly more because the darkness cannot put out the light. Amen again. The more you allow the single light of a candle to be present in a dark room, the more it lights up the corners of the room. If you don't believe me, try it tonight. Go home, sit in a dark room, light a candle. Just wait a while and you'll see that the the light will start to pervade the darkness of the room. In describing himself as the light of the world, as we've read in John 8, verse 12, Jesus is making it clear that he has come to confront men and women with the truth about themselves and their lives and the darkness of the world. Human instinct, I know, tends to make us want to keep the darker side of our lives hidden from others. But here was the light of the world, Jesus, showing up in the light of all of our nature to the world. The anger of the Pharisees shows how disturbed they were at what they, uh, at the, the, what they did, what, how they acted, uh, and, how, uh, and, and how they operated would be disclosed in the light of Jesus. They challenged all that Jesus was saying because they wanted to put a lid on the, on the, the light. This is actually, I think, one of the disturbing natures of the gospel. You know, the, the Shane who went to prison didn't understand that he was living in darkness. Uh, he needed that disturbing light of God of Jesus to come in and fa- allow him to face up to the fact that actually his life was dark. And thank God that he met with Jesus in such a dramatic way and, and, and changed his life. That's what happens when the Spirit of God breaks into our lives. We become disturbed about what we are now able to see more clearly in the brilliance of the light of Jesus about our lives. And one of the effects of that, I have to say, friends, is tears. Tears because we are disturbed by what we've discovered about ourselves and what this might look like as we approach God 
and we are shamed by it all. We're called children of God. And children, when they're confronted about things they have done wrong, often start to cry naturally. We've become adult and we can manage without that, we think. But actually, I would say, as you are disturbed by the light of God speaking into the darkness of your life, even if you've been a Christian for many years, you may often cry because Jesus is shining the light on that situation. And that's what happened to shame. And even as he speaks about it, he weeps. Because Jesus has shone the light into his life and still continues to shine the light into his life. Jesus, the light of the world, the gospel, the good news, had brought light into his world, which looked to him and probably to me and probably to his prison officers impenetrably dark. And Shane's world was permanently disturbed for the good. And as Christians, brothers and sisters, we should not be ashamed of the power of the gospel because it brings light, it brings Jesus to the world, into a world which we know is full of darkness and behavior which is contrary to God's law, contrary to what we see exemplified in Jesus, what we often call as sin. And don't forget that sin is not graded A to G, like in a GCSE, but is simply sin. Uh, there's no grading of it, it's sin. Paul says it in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation who everyone, for everyone, of everyone who believes. The power of salvation for everyone who believes. Those who've known the amazing grace of God in their lives need not be ashamed of the gospel because it will have changed their lives and meant that the dark corners of their lives are being dismantled by the invasion of the light as the light punches through the darkness. And that gospel that we preach week by week is still punching holes slowly but surely, into the darkness. You know, in this country, as I say, we may be really disappointed that, you know, there's so many people who don't go to church. But across the world, the gospel is growing numbers. Huge numbers. I know Islam is doing well, but Christianity is always also doing well. Let's not be too disappointed. We can become very despondent. I long to see this country in revival. I long to see this village in revival. But actually, across the world, the gospel is doing quite well because the power of gospel, uh, the power of, of, of the light of Jesus is amazing. Now the thing is that when we read this text in John, we read it in the context of a woman who has known darkness in her life. And the legal people, the Pharisees, they just longed to do what the law of Moses commanded them to do, which was to stone her. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read any passage about stoning in, in the Bible, I often sort of refer in my mind to the way that IS or other Islamic uh, leaderships might want to operate in the world. Because they still stone people. They still cut people's hands off. They still do all sorts of, uh, of disastrous things for people's lives. 
that is of the dark side. The Pharisees were still living in the dark side. They hadn't seen the light of life. They hadn't seen the light of grace, of mercy, of compassion, of yeah, okay, hands up, we do it wrong sometimes as well, but let's try and work at this together. Because here we see Jesus sending the woman on her way fully, totally, with no compromise, forgiven. Fully brought into the light because the darkness of life cannot and will not extinguish the light of life, which is Jesus. And she has met fully with this experience of the light of life as she meets Jesus. And she goes a forgiven person. Not forgiven and, uh, and don't worry, it doesn't matter what you do in life, but forgiven and don't do it anymore. And slight deviation here, but importantly, I think, This woman didn't come to meet Jesus on that day. You know, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? We expect people often to come here to meet Jesus. You know, oh, you come to church, you'll meet with Jesus. We're worshipping people. You'll meet with Jesus. It's lovely. No, 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 no. That's not how it happened. She came and she was just about to be stoned to death because of her way of her life. And she met with Jesus. She didn't expect to meet Jesus at all. This was out of the way for her. Many people meet Jesus even when they are not looking for him because he is always on the lookout for you. He has his eye on you already. If you're not a Christian here this morning, he has his eye on you. He longs for you to come to him and and discover the light of life. The light of the world is always seeking to shine light into the darkest corners of the world. Praise God, because humanity cannot and will not manage on its own. We need Jesus in the equation of life. You might have come here this morning because you've been dragged or told, or even in God's grace you've been prompted to come this morning. Or even you might be the new pastor coming to this church and felt that you ought to be here anyway. But it might be, just might be, that this is the time uh, that you need to come to Jesus and allow Jesus, in his mercy, to stoop down and just write on the ground that you may receive the light of life. Not only fully forgiven by the light of the world, Jesus but also with a statement of what to do next. Leave your life of sin. Now, I've been a pastor for a few years now, um, a couple of decades and, and a bit, and I've become more and more inclined to be a preacher who believes in so what theology. Now, I don't really know what so what theology is, but so what theology is, well, you've said that, but so what? You know, what does that mean? Uh, What does that say to us? The 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 so-what theology of I am the light of the world is go and sin no more. Change your life. Allow the light to punch holes in the dark corners of your life. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of God the Father. Even Jesus says that his witness is valid because he stands 
with the Father who sent him, verse 16. I'd love to delve more into the nature of the Father, but it would take me more than just a morning or a weekend, probably. But in the name of Jesus, who is from the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are offered light in our world. And we are told, in verse 11, to make this change of life ongoing. Allow the light of the world to come and be with you and live with you and change every single corner of your life because the light does darken the lightest corners. I just want to finish with another quote of scripture to encourage you in these dark days in the world which is going to come up on the screen. But as for me, Micah says, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Though I sit in darkness, though the world around me looks pretty miserable, though my own life sometimes looks miserable, though my soul might feel dark at this point in time, the Lord will be my light. Shall we say amen to that? Amen.